You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Over the past few years, I've had the privilege of watching the rise of Hey, Dip Your Toes In, an amazing travel, food, lifestyle platform that essentially shares vibrant cultural stories. The site, which was launched by Omo and Yolanda Osagade, became an outgrowth of what they'd already been doing, documenting their travels for friends and family on social media. But once it became apparent that others just might be interested, they launched their site in 2015, and their story has been growing ever since. The Black Expat was fortunate to feature them early in their journey and really early in ours as we interviewed them in March of 2016, which was only a month after we went live. In that interview, they discussed their personal story. Yolanda, who's originally from the US and Omo, who comes from Nigeria, shared the keys to making their cross-cultural marriage and partnership work while living in London. Much of their interview is still relevant today, but I wanted to catch up with them to see how their brand was faring in the crazy year that was 2020. As digital marketers and travel influencers, they share how they had to pivot after dealing with the impact of COVID on their industry, business, and really everything else. Omo and Yolanda detail how their business changed and really the need for them to go back to the basics. They also talk about the real life of doing business as travel content creators, and they dispel a lot of the misconceptions about what it takes. There's also some candid conversation about living in the United Kingdom while social and political unrest is happening at home. These two are pretty authentic storytellers, and I know you'll enjoy their insight. Welcome to the Global Chatter. Man, I read this article and it was a number of British folks who had, or they had been living, like, for example, like in Spain. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden reality hit in. And I sat there and I thought to myself, but what did you think was gonna happen? Like who, yeah. that freedom of movement goes both ways. It isn't we've, just. Yeah, we've heard I mean, so many of those stories in the last year. We've met people while traveling. Yeah. 
that oh, really? you know, oh, really? other yeah. Yeah. other Europeans that voted for no, let's say other Brits that yeah. voted for Brexit that right. Uh, who, who suddenly are realizing that <laughs> life is not going to be business as usual for them in those countries where they currently live. Exactly. Well, they better get used to the visa runs and all the <laughs> other <plus>. Right? <laughs> extra fees, all, all, all the extras. I mean, I'm trying to be sympathetic, but then it just tells me you, one of two things, you didn't read the details, which I know there's that contingent, right? It's like the people who said, I don't like Obamacare. But I like ACA. Like what? Like, <laughs> bruh, that's bruh, the same thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then there are the people who, what you wanted is you didn't want the other people in in your space, right. which I find ironic because you're not even in the space. But you know, that's just me. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm 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 curious with you guys. Like I reference, obviously, I talked to you a couple of years ago. And your site was just like your brand was just a year in. So I think you you launched 2015. Hey, you dipped your toes in. Is that, does yeah. that sound about right? About right? Yeah. And so I talked to you in March of 2016. And now we are we're at the tip of 2021. What has changed? Like, what have you you guys are both this big? What is so much different than when you guys started? Oh, my goodness. I think. The, the fundamental things that we have changed as, as people, mm. we've, we've evolved in the way we write, in the way we create content, in the way we like to travel, in the way we want to tell stories. We've evolved in the kind of stories we want to tell. Um, and as that evolution has happened, I think the blog itself has gone on that same journey with us. So that's pretty much how I would summarize it. And I think back then we weren't looking at chosen as a business mm-hmm. um, and we weren't looking at it as like this greater community and mm-hmm. platform that brings people together so that definitely was given a lot more definition or, or let's say it's been a lot more defined mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. the years and has gone through lots of different changes and growing pains and really amazing opportunities as well so yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely I feel like we've kind of um we've kind of put ourselves in this position where we've been we where we've been forced to create opportunities and not just for ourselves but for also for others because of deciding to take very much like a community approach. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's it's been a really fun 5 years. Definitely challenging, but yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, but fun. So I, so I was curious, just knowing, having seen you guys go through that evolution, what, what did you, what would you said originally was your, your main mission? Like, what did you think you were going to do when you first launched? Uh, To be a hundred percent honest. And I don't, if I would have to re-listen to that um, podcast we did so long ago, because I was probably faking the funk. (laughs) Back then. <laughs> like, I mean, I, hey. you know, I was like, oh, wow, I'm getting this invited to talk on a podcast. Yes, right. okay, you know, wow, that's so cool, Betty. Um, but back then, honestly, it was, it for us, it, I hate to be chosen, was purely a space, you know, a digital, uh, mm-hmm. a digital um, uh, journal yeah. of sorts. A creative outlet. Yeah, yeah. creative yeah. outlets, you know, almost an online diary in many cases yeah. where yeah. we could share our travel and food stories so mm-hmm. that they were no longer living on Facebook. 
And (laughs) we outgrew that very quickly because by the nature of the people that we are and how we share stories and how we communicate with others. And also the fact that we had a very high level. I felt like we, we came in with a very, very high expectations of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> with that high expectation, then you start trying to produce content, you know, mm-hmm. at that kind of, at that, at a higher level. And soon, you know, brands started coming to us. And that, I think, honestly, that was that kind mm-hmm. of like kick in the bum for us both in 2016, a few months after we recorded the podcast that, we were like, okay, we need to get our stuff together. You know, mm-hmm. this is, we, 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 this is like real stuff. <laughs> we need to figure out pricing and is this a business? Like, what is this? What are we doing with mm-hmm. this all? So yeah, it was definitely a bit by force, but it was something that we were really excited to start that journey and that trajectory. So if no, if, if someone has no idea who you guys are and what you do, how would you describe your brand today? Well, Hey, Dip, hey Dip Your Toes In <laughs> is a creative platform where we um, basically tell cultural, food, cultural, and um, what would you food say? Culture food culture so stories. So we explore mm-hmm. food yeah. culture stories through the lens of travel. Yeah. And those two... Uh, ideas are quite, can be, mm-hmm. you know, coexist or they can be quite separate. Sometimes it's just travel stories from a more cultural element. And other times it's purely food culture stories. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, we would, we would now describe ourselves as um, influencers mm-hmm. and we would describe ourselves as digital marketers as well. Mm. So. And I, I, I was going to ask you that because given obviously 2020 has been a wild year for everyone for a variety of reasons. And I, I completely follow you guys just in general because I like your photos. I'm like, <laughs> I, I mean, I could go there for deep other stuff, but I'm like, no, I actually really like their photos because you guys have really bright photos and they make me happy. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess when I think about 2020, and how much travel has been influenced or has been impacted. How's, how have you guys kind of navigated kind of this time where maybe you haven't been able to go to some of the places you would have liked to gone this year? That's been a really fun, honestly, I mean, outside of the fact that, yeah, it was really devastating not to be able to uh, pursue a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. that we had set up. Yeah. In the travels, yeah. you know, in the travel arena and lots of contracts were frozen. So it was definitely a hit financially. But on the other side of it was this incredible pivot and being able to still work with travel brands and to create digital content campaigns mm. that were not contingent on us being in these particular destinations. Mm. So for us, that was really exciting to create travel recovery campaigns, mm. uh, you know, wow. that, where we didn't have to necessarily go to the destination. And that's really opened up a whole other vein, you know, of communication with these different destinations. And it has opened up a whole kind of vein of creativity for us both as well. Yeah. And with thinking through ideas of, you know, how does this look from a marketing perspective? How does it look from an audience perspective that will be consuming this content? Will it encourage them to think about traveling to this destination? And then when does that type of campaign need to be launched? And these are the conversations that we'll be having with destination partners. And that's been really, actually really exciting for us both. Wow. 
Wow. Um, I would, you know what? I would have never thought about about that. Because my my first thought, no, but honestly, I think when I, when I think about folks, particularly in the travel space, I mean, obviously you have other components. My first thought would have been, oh my God, like, and I, I have friends, you can't go to the places you were planned to going or, or the places that you wanted to go because COVID stops you. Right. So then how do you still give content and give purpose even though you're not there. And so I think the ability to pivot, and I, I don't think people understand how much you have to do. I think when you're a content creator, how much you have to pivot. Um, but was it was it challenging at first trying to do, go that direction? The, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at <laughs> between March and April. Yeah, I think all... like most of the world, we were shell-shocked, um, didn't have a clue what was going on, when, how long this thing was going to last for, um, try to adjust to everything being canceled in quick succession. We were actually supposed to speak at a, the first conference. Mm. Our, spe- our first speaking gig for the year was going to be March, right? Yes, mm. March, like around the 14th, 15th. 14th or 15th. And even up until the, the two or three days before the, the thing was actually supposed to happen. In Sicily and, um, mm-hmm. We still didn't know whether it was going ahead or not, you know. And of course, they had to cancel last minute. So that, that whole uncertainty played a a big role in how the, the year shaped out to be. So once we eventually overcame that confusion and uh, lack of um, direction. And a bit I, of depression too. Yeah. Like yeah. I was wrapped up in a red robe for two weeks. Like yeah. <laughs> wrapped up with Netflix. Like I can't go nowhere. I can't go nowhere. Yeah, it was <laughs> seriously because yeah. you just kept reflecting on everything that you lost that you're lost yeah. and you know that even though they were like oh it's gonna get better <laughs> and you know you our prime minister too was like oh yes i it's only going to be you know another four weeks you know <laughs> you're like yeah, okay <laughs> And you're just looking at this unfold all over the world and you're like, there's no way. Um, right? You just knew that was not going to happen. And so, you know, the, that, that depression really um, can be really triggered. And it was, it was, it was hard. It was yeah. really, really hard. So yeah, the way, the way we, we pivoted wasn't exactly deliberate to start with. We yeah. just simply went yeah. back to the basics of just creating, you know, Creating just yeah. random, random fun stuff that in stuff that excited us, you know, entertained us, entertained both. us, that yeah. helped uplift our spirits, and we hoped would uplift the spirits of our audience. And so we just kind of just went back into that creative cycle, and yeah, that's creativity basically. kind of saved our mental health. Yeah, honestly, because it was, you know, it was on that verge. Yeah, and yeah. like so many people that we know that we've talked to that are struggling with their mental health right now. Yeah. Yep. And for us, creativity, it, it really was that thing that really did pull us back from at least me, myself. I don't, <laughs> we have different levels of yeah. what we're, how we're feeling in terms of, you know, yeah. uh, depression or anything like that or what our struggles. So in terms of self-care, that's, I, I can really, really kind of ascertain it to creativity mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. able to kind of tap into those creative aims through TikTok and mm-hmm. like TikTok became like our new thing. It was fun. And I, every day I was are y'all, are TikTok y'all, wait, Are y'all wait, TikTokers? Are y'all no, for real. Are you TikTokers? <laughs> Not anymore. Like it, we, it was a, it was a, for, yeah, for a, it was a moment. A moment. <laughs> yeah, it was a season we were like dedicated. We were creating these videos. We were buying oh things on Amazon for costumes and, you know, stuff like that for all the extras. 
we, we really got into it for a minute yeah. and we needed to, we needed that. And then, um, we launched a digital, um, like, a, like a digital education series mm-hmm. on Instagram called, um, and, and YouTube, and YouTube well. called school days. And oh, cool. so it was like, Oh goodness. How many months was that? Three months? Or yeah. I think it was like three months just every ha- week. Of- every week just had a oh. new, new guest, guest. um, a content wow. creator to just talk about a topic. Um, yeah. And then record a tutorial with them having to edit that every single week. Right. So it was like this intense <laughs> production schedule, you know, with producing a podcast, it's a, hmm. it's a lot of work, but it got me so fired up and revved up about content and um, pivoting and creating. And it was the, honestly, I feel like I needed that. And I was almost grateful for this time and for this year mm-hmm. to, I'm not grateful for everything that let's say for the pandemic, yeah, but in itself, but I'm grateful for this time period that allowed to kind of incubate me and to kind of push me to another level where I was like, honey, here's this really cool idea. And then he'd be like, okay, you know, how can, what do you need from me? Kind of thing. What can I do to um, kind of like push that part to the next level as well? So it was really fun being able to come together with these creative ideas and just kind of let our creativity take us. So let me ask you guys this question. And I know, I know the answer, (laughs) but I'm, this is for the people who are listening. You guys create content, I create content, and 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 given the space that you're in that's very visual, what do you think are some of the misconceptions people have about the work that you do? They always think it's like quite glamorous, um, it's, especially when it's kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, attached to travel. Yep. And then they always feel like you're getting all these incredible gifts or freebies and but there's always strings attached. And that's the thing is that people don't realize there's so many strings attached with say like free travel or mm-hmm. any kind of gift or product that you might receive. Mm-hmm. And so over the last few years, like we, I would say when you, when we met you and filmed the podcast, um, recorded the podcast, and then we started going into a lot more travel and a lot more travel opportunities, working mm-hmm. with um, different publications. It, we were really on this high about um, comps travel and mm-hmm. doing like pet press trips. And mm-hmm. so a lot of stuff was like unpaid press trips in the beginning. And mm-hmm. then we started moving into, you know, paid travel, but it's so much work, you know, on the back end. And mm-hmm. people don't see that you go to the destination, you show it off on say like Instagram stories, but that's part of the deliverables mm-hmm. you know, for a brand. And then you, are waking up or going to bed every single night early or late because you're up for hours ahead, mm-hmm. you know, maybe of other people or other, even traditional journalists trying to get that content out, you know, going out and getting, you know, content at the best time of day. Um, just so that you can get things where you might feature yourself in destinations without a lot of people. And it's a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people are like, yeah, but that's, oh, what a hard life, you know, <laughs> right? you live or something like that. And, and you're like, okay, no, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the opportunities. I'm grateful for being able to experience some of these incredible, um, I don't know, experiences, but it's a double negative, sorry, experience some of these incredible experiences. But, you know, when it comes down to it, there are opportunities 
but you have to weigh them because not all that glitters is gold. Mm -hmm. So when people are asking about getting into the content creation space Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to take advantage of free travel or get free travel opportunities, right? you know, I, I just say, you know, really think about what you want out of this and, you know, take it, you need, just need to really take it seriously and also don't overextend yourself for any brand Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, any destination partner just because you want free travel. Because in the end, you end up paying for this opportunity because you have to declare it in your mm-hmm. taxes already. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot there um, and a lot of misconceptions, I think, in the industry. I think you used a really good word like glamorous because there's just I, I think people just assume you show up, you take photos <laughs> You get stuff for free and there it is. And I, <laughs> I was like, look, I had a, so m- nobody knows this because it was so tiny. I had a travel blog for like two minutes. <laughs> okay. Like literally two <laughs> minutes. You know how you were TikTokers for a second? Like I, I was yes. like half of that and <laughs> had a travel blog <laughs> and said, y'all, you know what? I can't, I travel all the time. I love seeing the world. I realize I'm not committed enough to share it with everybody else. Because yes. I look at some of the work y'all do and some of my favorite folks, and I'm like, y'all be out there taking photos. And I know it's a long day because you're getting the details and you got to write, and then you got to put it whatever medium and mechanism you're using. So, of course, we're talking video, audio on your site, on their site, if you've got to write a, a, a yes. post. And, and just... People don't get that. I mean, to a certain degree, I get that with the black expat because they're like, oh, we have the site <laughs> and the stuff is here. And I'm like, you have no idea how much of my life <laughs> is dedicated to, to just getting, even with other people, getting things at least in a way that people can consume and then obviously managing your social media. And so I, 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 I trust and believe there are folks who just see what you do and think I can do it. But then I always go, yeah, but do you have the work ethic? Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, so some of it even, ha- some of it even happens before the photos get, you know, get, before you take the first photos, getting the opportunities themselves mm. involves yep. you pitching to the brands, negotiating with them prices, um, getting into their own sort of approval cycles mm-hmm. of in quality reviews, um, getting stuff approved and then sent out for publication or for printing or for whatever that, that whole cycle takes, yeah. takes its own time and effort before you then actually start capturing the content itself mm. that, you know, get, eventually gets presented. So yeah, there, there is work involved. Um, so one of the misconceptions, like you said, is that you just show up and take photos <laughs> for people who take this seriously, for right. brands that who take this seriously, there's a lot more that goes yeah. on in the background. Location scouting, mm-hmm. wardrobe planning, you know, there's a, it's a lot. You end up becoming your own independent production house mm-hmm. in some cases because brands are hiring you because they want to see a specific type of visual um, identity in the imagery, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's imagery through videos or photos. So you have to be very intentional about it. Um, it's not just showing up and saying, okay, I'm going to do a few street photographs. Mm-hmm. And that is not to discount street photography because we love street photography and we do that. And in fact, it's like, it's a, for us, sometimes it's a, a bit of a relief because we can just shoot whatever we want. Yeah. But oftentimes we're working with destination partners that because they've seen what we produce maybe on Instagram, they want that type of look. 
Mm-hmm. So it has to be stylized and we have to be very intentional about how we shoot. You know, we did a, a, I think back in 2017, we did a video series in the Netherlands and we did some shooting in Canada. And it's funny to me that since then, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're a massive team that did the produce these videos. I was like, it was me and a dude. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Holding, (laughs) running around the Netherlands and Canada with like the equipment, like me hiding on the ground, like he's shooting and like, we're getting the question, you know, feeding and miking people. And I go, you know, many of us who do this kind of work, it isn't it's not like people are ready there to do it. You actually have to be committed to make it and look the way you guys do um, and to make the stuff look the way we do. And so I, I always think it's super important, especially for the folks who are listening in who will think, okay, this is something I want to get into. I always encourage folks, but they got to know when, when you're, especially if you are working with a brand or you're just building your own brand, you got to hustle like this ain't, (laughs) you know, it's not, it looks glamorous, but you know, it's not as glamorous as you may think, but I think that the mission and the purpose, especially in what you guys do. And so we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about this summer because <laughs> there were a lot of things that happened this summer, including some blog posts I read on your site <laughs> and uh, kind of go from there. Right, so I wanted to pick up um, from a post I actually read on your site <laughs> uh, called So You Want to Be an Ally. I read it when it came out because believe it or not, my non-existent time, I actually read stuff from other people. <laughs> like I, I get up super, honestly, I get up at like 4 a.m. and you guys would be amazed what I'm doing at 4 a.m. But wow. I read your post um, and who and who wrote the post? Just was it, Oma, was it you or was it? You yeah. Okay. Cool. And I, I read the post and I, you know, and I, I read it again, knowing that I would talk to you guys and I was just kind of sitting in it. And so I would love to just hear in your own words. What kind of led you to just go ahead and write that post? Oh, well, there was a lot. I mean, <laughs> So to to kind of preface that, uh, a few years ago, this 2016, actually, goodness, this time has passed very quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2016, I I went to my first BLM protest in London. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up like in a family growing to marches. Like we had the Martin Luther King March. We went every year um, going to protests. Like I was I was used to that kind of form of engagement, you know, and civil expressing civil freedoms and standing up for um, any type of social political issue that was being kind of uh, really discussed at the time. So whenever everything really popped off, and I'll just use that term popped off, Mm -hmm. um, not not literally, but I guess it could be used literally. No, it did. It did. If you were in Portland, it definitely popped off. All of it. All all of it popped off. (laughs) It did. Um, We ended up getting a surge of people that began coming to our blog, engaging with us, like primarily through Instagram and secondly Mm -hmm. through uh, Twitter. And it was like the great white awakening. We did too. (laughs) We did too. So I feel you. (laughs) We did. It was like all of a sudden I'm white. I have privilege. Please teach me. 
And, <laughs> and we were, and it was exhausting because we were having phone calls and, and oh my goodness, the emails, the emails yeah. and DMs of people leaving like four or five voice notes, you know, of talking about their experience and their, you know, like their basic, they're coming to Jesus moments. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, <laughs> it was really, uh, for us, it was really it, laborious like we were <laughs> exhausted physically mentally emotionally and we needed to be able to put boundaries in place and so mm. we talked about having an article that we would put out where people can just go a resource really that talked about allyship you know because that was one thing we both of us were kind of like it because we write separately and we were writing lots yeah. of posts that were going out to our different circles on, yeah. you know, online and this whole idea of like what an ally looks like was for us was really important to discuss because allyship looks different for everyone. However, mm. there is a basic premise in place. And part of that is recognizing your privilege and listening. So, um, and actively listening mm -hmm. and then putting into thing, putting, putting your listening into action. And so, you know, Omo really kind of, you know, from there, just kind of like went off and began to write. Yeah. And I, I felt that it would make more sense if I made it, if I wrote about a personal experience mm -hmm. and, and wrote that whole, wrote about the allyship topic from a personal, a place of personal experience. And so I, I, I remembered that travel experience I had going to this particular country with a group of, you know, other journalists mm -hmm. who um, were all white. Um, mm -hmm. And just one encounter that I faced as a black traveler that mm -hmm. they didn't have, to, they were completely blind to. Mm -hmm. um, and that just gave me an, uh, an inroad into explaining and what being an ally would have meant to me in that situation from my white colleagues. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the message was well, well received by people who read it. But um, yeah, like she said, it was really just our way of trying to put all our thoughts into one place and telling people, okay, you want to be an ally? Here's here's what we think, you know, go off and read that. And if you still need to, to learn more, then, um, you know, come back to us. But this is where you start from, first of yeah. all. I think some of the best writing I've seen from colleagues has definitely been unfortunately kind of through the trauma of that period um because and and i i definitely echo the sentiment of you know for me i would use the word overwhelming when when everything kind of hit and then there was a i guys you guys know this there was a move to amplify <laughs> black voices right but it's like, I don't know if people told the black folks they were about to be amplified. <laughs> they did not. And so I, you know, I was kind of looking at our platforms, looking at our back end of our site. And I was seeing all these people were, which is totally great. You know, whatever. Like we're called the black expat. You know what you're going to get. So there, there's no you are making a conscious decision if you're coming to something called the black expat. But it was. I saw all these questions as well that were coming our end and, and that people wanted answers to. And I, I kept giving, and I'm, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. I kept giving this analogy though, when people are in the middle of a trauma, it's like, if you've been hit by a bus, you've been hit by a bus and someone is asking you, what is it like to be hit by a bus? 
you have fallen on the ground because you've been hit by a bus. And someone is still asking you, what is it like to be hit by the bus? The bus has driven over you again and is down in the distance. You're like, but what's it feel like to be hit by hit by a bus? And so when I looked at the summer for me, I was sort of like. We want to amplify, we want to we want to fix all these things, all these things, we want to do all this stuff. But people are still trying to deal with trauma. <laughs> They're still trying to deal and, and, and collective trauma, right? Because it isn't just, you know, fine, George Floyd. But when we think about cases, of course, other cases in the U.S., we think about cases in the U.K., we think about cases in France. I, you know, I had someone on who uh, is a black French person and was talking about brutality against immigrants and, and, and black and brown folks in France. Right. That and we, when you say pop off, <laughs> it's like everybody has something to say. Right. Because this has been a collective trauma. And so that being said, when I when I read your piece, I thought this was such a really nice way and a very human way to sort of say, look, you want to be an ally. Here's here's the real stuff that you do here. And, and here is the place of where I'm coming from, from my own personal experience. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be abstract. You follow this blog. You follow us. This is like real life. This isn't, you know, I heard through a newspaper. And, and so I think that's why it really resonated with me. And so I started thinking about you guys in terms of as, as folks who are in the space that you're in. What are some of the challenges that maybe folks don't necessarily understand that you may face as black influencers that are different from others? Because I do know that a good portion of our audience is not black. And so I don't think I, I don't want to presume that they know what makes it a little bit different for you as an influencer that maybe a white influencer, especially in travel and food, doesn't have to experience. Oh, there's oh, goodness. There's so many. Um we, I remember, was I think last year uh, being interviewed for a BBC podcast about <laughs> um, pay gap, you know, the pay gap and it being based on the fact that brands, we've, let's say brands have negotiated with us and have tried to offer us a lower rate or no payment for <laughs> work um, versus our same counterparts that influencers who are white, you know, creating content that might be going on the same trip and are being paid mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And those types of conversations that you have to navigate. And oftentimes there, and, and that leads you to a whole nother part of this whole conversation is that there oftentimes you might tell a, a, a white audience member that doesn't quite understand, you know, why this stuff is going on. And then they come up and they're bringing up, you know, arguments for both sides Mm-hmm. And they might say, oh, well, you know, how do you know, you know, that it wasn't because that particular influencer had more experience than mm-hmm. you or maybe mm-hmm. a more established you know, brand presence with you? And the thing is, as I said, one time someone had said that and I says, you know, I said, would you say the same thing to a white influencer? You know, if they were talking about us being paid and not them, you know, what they don't have to defend themselves they don't have to fight, you know, for mm-hmm. a a higher wage or a wage at all because they're being offered this mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, lay the facts on the on the table and then look at them and decide, you know, before you immediately trying to say, oh, well, is it really equitable? Because it's it's not equitable 
And we're, and that's what, that's what we are looking to try to kind of establish the fact that no, we do have equity right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just all based on everything Mm -hmm. is fine and everything Mm -hmm. is, is equal. And and you're just saying, okay, do um, white creators have to go through that fight? And oftentimes Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, they might, you might have female white creators that Mm -hmm. um, have not been paid as well as say like a white male Mm -hmm. creator. And then, you know, we have misogyny and we have sexism. So there's those verticals, of course, in conversation. And then you have things about like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, body type and being a plus Mm -hmm. size Mm -hmm. influencer and, you know, things like that. But what happens is when you have these intersections, you have say like a black woman who's also plus size, who mm. is also maybe queer, you know, and what kind of work are they getting? You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So it, these are things that, um, you know, things that black mm-hmm. influencers are having to discuss and having to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, just let's say December last year, I was speaking at an event where the man introduced mm. me, the, the commentator introduced me as the talking cucumber. <laughs> I know. I was supposed like, huh? And what's the right? Let me get that. let me get some context. Let's pause. Let's pause. I need context. I need context. Right. For yes. Just, I know. This is, I know. Everyone listening is probably like, what in the world? What? 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 I don't understand. I heck, I didn't understand. But the, <laughs> okay. the connection is is that so it was a journalism PR event, and there mm-hmm. were editors from you know all these top. Uh, publications in the UK yeah. speaking on the panel. Yeah. So there's like four of us on the panel. And, and they, they wanted like an influencer perspective. So they put you there. Yeah. Right, so. so someone who was an influencer and a journalist, yeah. both. Mm-hmm. So they thought that was a really vital uh, perspective to have on the panel. And the commentator is some, what, he was like some TV presenter. Yeah. He's had, TV he, older. He'd had a big career in TV, like in the 70s, 80s, and some radio stuff, you know, since then. He's, one I of mean, those, he's part of the establishment. <laughs> pretty, pretty yeah. Much, yeah. 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 Clearly. Yeah. The, the White Tower. <laughs> Clearly. That is now crumbling. <laughs> right. So he then, he comes, he, he was asking um, the journalists who'd all come together, and we'd all come together, editors or whatever, say they weren't just journalists, but editors. And was mm-hmm. asking about our background so you can have a little bit more information to introduce us with for the panel because each person would be introduced separately. So then he gets to me and he interrupts me as I'm talking to him and explaining who I am and what I do. And he was like, do you know, you you have the most perfect voice for radio. And and I was like, oh, that, you know, I said that, you know, that's lovely. He's like, have you ever thought about pursuing a, a voiceover uh, career in voiceover work? And I said, well, actually, you know, when I was in, I said, funny story. It's like when I was in undergrad, um, I actually mm-hmm. used to support myself by doing, um, ra- uh, not radio, um, cartoon voiceovers. And he was like, oh, brilliant, brilliant. You know, you know, what, what, you know, what cartoon he asked me what cartoon it was and, or what, no, no. He said, what was your favorite character? And I, I said, oh, it's like a talking cucumber. And I just kind of laugh. So then when he gets to introduce me, he gives no context about all the other things I talked to him about what I do. He introduces me as a talking cucumber and says with great hair, Meanwhile, he's introduced all the other journalists as editor of this, editor of that, this person, this, this person, that, and then and decides you... to put tries to put his arm around me like that. 
yeah let's just say that let's just say that that evening was not the best uh and but it's not a one-off these things happen i had i'd had two incidents very similarly that had happened within maybe a month and a half of each other so these are things that you know white uh our white colleagues are not having to experience and so yeah they are very much uh they're very, very much positioned by the fact that we are black content creators mm-hmm. working in an industry that has really, that is very much, let's say in an industry that needs to be decolonized. Well, and let me ask you this question. Like I, I'm, I'm still <laughs> perplexed that folks could not imagine that folks that look like you do what you do or, or, or the, or travel still like, <laughs> I know this. I know once again, run aside the black. So I'm I'm not feigning ignorance on this, but I'm still amazed how people are shocked or surprised or don't value as much the work, the kind of work that you do. If if for nothing else, dollars and cents, right? Euros and pounds, like black <laughs> if if and, and I know it's not your soul lane. But if nothing else, you could say, well, maybe they can get more black people to travel to places they wouldn't go like at a very at a very basic level. And I think that's the part that completely like plummets me is that people are still like, you know, they can't they can't look at your achievements and look at what you've done or are still because they are devaluing it. It's not even like they're putting a value on it. They're just valuing it less. less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I don't know travel, and it kind of I guess it irritates me with travel because part of travel is to see the other parts of the world, right? And if you, yeah. <laughs> so like, <laughs> if you go to other parts of the world, you're going to see all kinds of people. So why wouldn't you? I don't know, <laughs> have all kinds of people that you all want has, to <laughs> Exactly, that's what you would think. You would think that would just be a natural inclination. Yeah, but. Unfortunately, it's not. I think there's been this view um, by non-people of color that everything else is the other Uh and everything exists to, in a sense, serve them and make them feel comfortable. Uh You know, the fact that when you hear like the language of, oh, I went to that country and they didn't speak English. (laughs) I talked to that waiter and they didn't speak English. You know, thing, things because like they were that. colonized by somebody different, but that's a whole nother side exactly. story. <laughs> exactly. Right. Sorry. And and Sorry. you know what's interesting enough is you keep talking and d- digging a bit deeper, and it's not just white people. Oftentimes, privilege, you know, mm-hmm. the face of privilege is no longer just white. Yeah. So yeah. you ha- you you yeah. start to go in a bit deeper on that too, as well as that you know, privilege has weird this ugly head, and it's you know, primarily, yes, it is colonized from a white lens, but privilege has also been the, the more people have access to it, mm-hmm. you know, the more diverse it gets, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So I think being able to recognize that we have different aspects of privilege in our life mm-hmm. and then seek to dismantle that or use our privilege for good and being able to you know, really like, tell these stories mm-hmm. and create opportunities for others that don't or maybe who weren't afforded the same privileges. 
So then let's let's flip it. How do you guys think that in the way that you travel and the way you share stories might be different than from someone who may come from a, a privileged space in terms of, let's say, racial background? So how do you think you 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 stand out or how do you how do you handle your business differently? Well, I think we're able to tell stories, first of all, from um, the perspective of the world that we live in, the world that we exist in. You know, obviously, um, we look different from what people tend, you know, what the industry um, says or, or what the industry, industry tends to show on the cover of magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we go to these countries or go into these places, we have encounters with people, we have interactions with locals, we have things that happen to us that are unique to us because of who we are and the way we look, pretty mm-hmm. much, end of story. So we're able to bring those perspectives into the content we create. We're able to talk about the time we went to Morocco, for example, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. met a Berber, a guy who's from the Berber tribe, who mm-hmm. has who was able to um, identify with me as a Nigerian because mm-hmm. we we share we have you know, both countries share similarities in in some cu- cultural aspects and we're able to connect on that level we're able to tell that story from a place of authenticity and that, that I think that sort of helps us bring that unique aspect to to the content that we create and, and there's so many examples like that of how we feel that we're able to make those more hu- those human connections yeah. mm-hmm. and tell those stories from a place of authenticity um i think that just generally helps us kind of stand out in 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 the in the competition from the competition Mm. rather and the fact too that we we do love to question ourselves and not assume things Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. just because we believe that diversity provides us access to unique stories um doesn't mean that we should necessarily always take advantage of it in that moment, because if the story is not serving the community in the way that it should be, mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. you know, is it really a story that we need to tell? Mm-hmm. So we there, there are times we've had to walk away from stories or we've had to kind of reframe the narrative because we were telling we were looking at our own privilege or in maybe the way that we might have ascertained the story or got access to the story. And have said and said, is that is that really how the story needs to be told? Mm. Um, so so it's interesting. We have lots of examples of that, but yeah, I, th- I think that's something that um, really does kind of provide a checks and balance system for us mm-hmm. as well as journalists. And sometimes we don't always see that a lot mm-hmm. in the industry because there are a lot of story chasers, mm-hmm. and they're looking for that. You know, that byline that's just going to zing and I've got to, you know, it doesn't matter whatever kind of access I can get to the story. I'm going to get it and I'm going to tell it, you know, things like that. And, you know, I always say it's like, you know, look at look at how you're amplifying, Mm -hmm. you know, the Mm -hmm. focus of the story. Like, is the focus of the story the way that you're telling the story or is it the story itself? So for us, those are questions that we're constantly kind of pondering over. I love the fact that you guys are actually sensitive to that because I, I think that's always the thing that concerns me when I, when I talk to some folks is that either they want to center themselves or they're not looking at the impact of who they're, they're sharing the story about. 
And and I think the fact that even your awareness of your own privilege, because let's be honest, we are all Western passport holders here, which I will get to in a moment. Um, and 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 I, I and I don't know about you, Omo, but I come from a mixed nationality family in terms of, you know, some of us have Western passports. Most of us have Cameroonian passports. And so. <laughs> You know, I think that's the thing that's always humbled me whenever I even start to talk about like travel and other things is because I've I've seen it play out in my own family who doesn't get to get a visa. And so I love the fact that you guys are sensitive to that, because I think that's something I always have to kind of tell folks when there's especially when you're telling a story from a position of authority in your mind. And I go, yeah, but not everyone has that access. Not everyone has that ability. And and and. I have that conversations more and more with black folks too, especially if they're Western black folks, because there's some things that they say and I go, yeah, but you're American, Canadian, British, French. <laughs> okay. Does that apply if you're Kenyan, Ghanaian, Tanzanian, or Cameroonian or Jamaican or Trini? Does it apply? And, and, and <laughs> then they don't realize that their privilege is talking and it's not a universal rule, you know? So I, I which is why I love, I didn't say this earlier. I actually read your Facebook posts, by the way, <laughs> and they're so good. But I, oh, wow. but I never I'm have really the good. headlines. And like, here's the thing. So hate, hate relationship with Facebook. I'm on there for business. I've been on there since 05. Okay. So I'm literally one of the early adopters of that thing. <laughs> At this point, I'm I'm a lurker and I got to post business, but like I'll come, <laughs> I'll come. But at, at the, same, the funny thing is that it gives us so much referral traffic. Like I do the bare minimum on Facebook and yet yeah. it's still our number one. And I'm like, well, I can't kill it yet. Right. Because you can't kill the golden no, goose. Facebook is, is, is still oh, yeah, important for that reason. Because, you know, but I, I read your Facebook post and I <laughs> I personally like when you start to talk about politics and kind of um, social aspects of things, because I think you give a really good view of someone who is in the West, but someone who also understands, like, particularly when you're talking a dichotomy between the West and maybe what's happening on the African continent, because sometimes I see your post, I'm like, ah, this is like arguing with my uncles. Like <laughs> there's, there's stuff that goes down. <laughs> there's stuff that goes down. And I'm like, the, these are the WhatsApp messages that I ignore because you guys start going into <laughs> conspiracy yes. theories and i'm just like and this is why we don't talk to y'all and so but, so, but <laughs> I, I i'm saying this with a purpose but i i i will always read i'm like when i see a long post i'm like oh this is gonna be good i agree i'm not gonna say anything oh, but right. i made sure i said it on camera so everyone's heard it <laughs> in case you know okay, your next thank you. thank you thank you thank you but <laughs> one one thing i wanted to ask both of you obviously we talked a little bit about in, in terms of you guys the impact in terms of your site with what happened in george floyd um but i've been having this conversation with black expats in particular about what it feels like to see kind of a crisis unfold at home and so obviously a lot of you grew up you grew up in the u.s so Everyone saw what happened in the U.S., which actually just kind of spoiled and boiled over to the rest of the world. Right. And then when I was thinking about you and, to, and particularly what was happening in the fall in Nigeria with NSARS and, and, and a conversation and a movement about police brutality. Right. Because up until this point, I think many of us had sort of seen it from a Western standpoint or, we, you know, we'd seen it as 
black people as minorities. But I think what was interesting about seeing and and SARS was actually shining a light on what happens in the continent. And it isn't just Nigeria, because I could point out like 10 other countries where there's some version of of police brutality against the native population. And so I was just curious what it's like for both of you in your respective homelands, give or take, what it was sort of like being in the UK and just seeing these become like international conversations, not just within the countries that you're both originally from. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so the, the NSARS, the NSARS movement, um, I think was the first thing I'll say about that is that it was long overdue. It was something that was an expression of pent up frustrations, pent up um, feelings by a lot of young people, not just young people, but the young people were actually speaking for the older people who didn't go out on the streets, but the young people were the ones carrying the message. But that message came from a place of frustration that had been building for decades. Um, and, and so the movement itself was much, was, 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 was long overdue and was needed for it at the time. It happened this year. Now, stepping back from that a bit, I think personally, I have had to take a slightly detached approach to Nigeria in general. Um, when I first moved abroad, um, I carried that national fervor with me. I, I had this passion about Nigeria and about, about the country and its potential. I still have, I still believe in, in Nigeria's immense potential. But over the years, my expectations of what can actually happen and when it can happen has become more measured. So where seven, eight years ago on Facebook, I would be the one, you know, flying the flag and fighting the battles on social media about, you know, this politician and this particular policy or whatever. <laughs> now I tend to step back a bit and just look at the big picture. So the NSARS message itself, I, I knew was going to cause one of two things to happen. One, it would cause the country to look at itself and come to a place of reckoning and realize that this change is necessary, this change is long overdue. Or it could go the other way, which is a typical thing that happens in Nigeria is the politicians and the hierarchy clamp down on this type of message of change and kill it out completely, which is what has happened, unfortunately. So I, I, I didn't get emotionally pulled into it until the, 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 the most significant event happened, which was the, the shootings mm -hmm. that happened at, at the Lekki Tollgate. That, that's when I actually started to pay serious attention to it and get emotionally involved. And the feeling I had of being an expat and being away from the country at that time was one of just sadness. Mm -hmm. Sadness at the fact that um, the, the, the people in, in the political hierarchy and leadership didn't see the moment for what it was and what it could be and what it could have caused in terms of change. Mm -hmm. um, so that sadness and not being able to do anything about it was the feeling I, I came away with, unfortunately. Um, I, I really want to, you know, if, if there are any people listening to this podcast who were part of, you know, that movement, I, I really praise you and, and, and praise all the people who were behind getting, you know, rallying, rallying the youth together and, and getting the message out there. Well done. Um, 
right right now the message may have fizzled out but <laughs> you've started something and i hope that will keep building i i hope generations following will build on that and and keep pushing that message forward so yeah as an expat it is frustrating and it's mm-hmm. sad that mm-hmm. i am not able to play a role but i'm glad it happened mm-hmm. i'm glad that this flashpoint happened and it's, it's something we can look back to as a country and say at, at some point in history we said enough was enough um the message of police brutality is one that's global. It's, you know, like you said, every mm-hmm. country has its own form of police brutality in some way or the other. In the US, that may come, that that may have come from a place of institutional racism. In Nigeria, it comes from a place of institutional corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, that is something that I, I just still can't wrap my head around. And for that reason, I've taken a detached attitude towards Nigeria that, you know, hopefully the change will happen, maybe in my lifetime, maybe not, but, you know, well done to people who are trying to make some change happen. And so Yolanda, who I'm half seeing you, <laughs> I need you to slide over just a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to basically say, let's juxtapose that with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. What was sort of your perspective now living in the UK and 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 seeing that kind of unfold this summer? It was a very visceral. Sorry. So sorry. I thought my phone started ringing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Apologies. But it, for me, the experience of this summer, it, it was a very visceral and emotionally um, kind of taxing time, but also it was a time where I I started to see a lot more hope Mm. for, for change. I felt like, because, so I'll tell you one conversation I was having with my father, you know, my, my, my dad was born in 55. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so he's, he's seen a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm talking with him and he's, you know, talking about, cause he lives in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. And he was talking about how, you know, there's just crowds of people protesting and how he's never seen anything like it, you know, in all the years that he's lived in Colorado. And, you know, although he wasn't like born in Colorado, he was born, he was born into the military, mm-hmm. you know, traveling as a military brat. And so he's, you know, lived in lots of different countries. He's protested in different countries. He um, went to high school in the seventies. So in, in, and sported the full Afro was part of like black student union, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And was one of the ones I have this black and white picture of him, you know, holding up a black power, power fist. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, Yolanda, he's like, I'm seeing people use this. I'm seeing white people use black power fists. And he's like, you know, in the beginning, he said, I was really bothered by it. And, you know, we're just having a very frank conversation mm-hmm. about this. And he's like, but he said, you know, now he's like, I, you know, I'm telling, like, go ahead and use it. He's like, I realize some people don't even understand what they're, why they're raising their fist or um, how they're doing. But you know what? He says, the, the conversations are making, or, or people are waking up mm-hmm. finally. Mm-hmm. People are starting to listen at a different level. And he said, even if it's for a short period of time, we can say that this period of time that people listened and um you know i on the other side of the i think of the fence of being someone who's you know that in between like millennial mm-hmm. zennial mm-hmm. um kind of stage we're like right at the 
the top of the millennials and the end of the zennial. Wait a minute. How top are you? Because I'm like, I'm supposed to be like N Gen X. So I'm trying to figure out, wait a minute. Yeah, so you know that. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I, I'm either, I'm either, that, it depends on who you ask. Either I'm, you're and, probably Zennial. You're probably I know, Zennial. I mean, wait, you know what? I, I try to put people's ages on blast out here. Like, yeah. <laughs> like well, we don't care. We, we now we talk because I'm like, you know, I think we're getting older. Yeah. So, wait, like, wait, what year were you born? So I'm 78 and 78. Okay, I'm a year younger. We, yeah, we in the same. We in the, okay, yeah, okay, I forgot. <laughs> So the way we were talking, I'm like, we ain't that far apart. Okay. No, no. Z- so it's Zennial. Yeah, yeah, so that's right, Zennial, right. the top of millennial. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to see um, how like Gen Z is taking <laughs> this movement and they're real, like they're going in. Right. Like they're really going in. And that's been for me really exciting to see. And you know, with everything that went on this summer, it's like, I think every black person, you know, played some kind of role in being some type of educator at some right. point in time. Unless they, right. You know what I mean? Like, they, black person was everyone's favorite teacher. Um, Just because I'm black doesn't mean I'm a DEI expert. I feel exactly. like y'all. Hold on. I know you're making a valid point and I want people to get their coins, but you are not a DEI ex- expert just because somebody can just because just because Lord, tell you, wow boy it was a new monetization <laughs> strategy you know no and I'm I'm smart enough to refer you to the black people that have gotten doctorates and are doing this and are coaching because the exactly. number of questions I've gotten my answer is always the same don't be racist and then I walk away <laughs> I'm like and people are like, is that it? I said, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Run me my, run me my check. You there you go. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm sorry. You were saying, you were encouraged. That was a side note and a plug. <laughs> and a plug. It'll be on a bumper sticker. It'll be on a bumper sticker. I'm going to make my money off of that somehow. Right. Like, make your money. Yeah. Make your money. Oh, Please. Oh. <laughs> but no, seriously, it's been... Like, I think with uh, with Gen Z, it's Mm -hmm. been really exciting to see how they've gone in and haven't necessarily, I think, haven't been held up, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. by this feeling of, okay, well, this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like whenever I I was their age, you know, I, I felt a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of times, like even though I was extremely active, yeah. you know, on my university campus with Black Student Services, I was at every march there was. Like I was spe- always speaking. Yeah. They, I mean, they called me the little rebel. <laughs> I mean, it was, <laughs> I, you know, that that was yeah. that was my persona. But still, yet I'm I'm seeing a different mm-hmm. approach um, to getting the message out there, and a lot of it has become because of the freedom of social media, yeah. which is a good and bad thing, as we know, yeah. because social media can definitely be used for some of the most vile of things. But it's been really exciting to see how that access to social media and using it as a tool has just really amplified you know, the message and um, has really exposed mm-hmm. so many things that, you know, that we've I think that we we are now just kind of seeing mm-hmm. like I was reading uh, just this morning on New York Times about Breonna Taylor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they did this whole visual yep. investigation. I don't know if you, yeah. you saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, but <laughs> outside of just hearing the story of Brianna and her tragic death, right. then to right. see this kind of, you know, this realization and this yeah. investigation, yeah. you know, through a visual way and then putting in all the footage. I know there's a, there's a documentary that has dropped as well. I think ABC yeah. has something to do with it, but um, I haven't seen that, but I did watch that visual investigation and just how powerful that is. And like, you cannot ignore the evidence. And I'm thinking that a lot of that has to be because of social media and mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. And so times have really changed. It doesn't, it does not take away from, you know, the way that our ancestors approach like civil rights movement yeah, of course. or anything like that. Like every time kind of has its place. But um, I, as you know, just myself um, as Yolanda, I got really excited seeing this younger generation just really kind of like take up the banner and say, you know, we're not going anywhere. And, I, and also... And the, the diversity of the protesters has been was really interesting to see. I was going to say that. And in both cases, because I think social media as much as <laughs> I've worked with young people forever. I have college students now that I work with and I used to worry about them and social media. But as this administration has showed me, really, it's the boomers you need to worry about that are on social media because the boomers be saying some stuff. And I'm like, uh, y'all yeah. gonna start wars with the stuff y'all y'all saying like you know the, the the 17 year olds over here are like hopping into white supremacist sites and having like k-pop dance offs y'all over here like saying stuff that might, might get people killed and so oh so i i i totally agree with you that it's it's real interesting to see folks that are much younger than us who are, who the way they look at the world they're looking at all these issues because if it if it was not for twitter right I probably would have not known the great detail of what was happening in Nigeria, to be honest. Like yeah. I wouldn't know. Yeah. And I love the fact that in the case of that, that people are like, okay, this is happening in Nigeria while you're here. Let me show you five other countries that are going through it right now on the continent. Yes. And so, yeah, I think that the, the, the young people who are on the ground who kept filming and unfortunately we had, to, we, we saw the violence up close. Like you couldn't say you didn't <laughs> see it. But if it wasn't for them. And so, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of with you where I, part of me is, is hopeful, but part of me is kind of got almost like because there's a lot of stuff going on in Cameroon right now where, yeah. you know, we, we got a president who may need to move on. <laughs> I will say that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just to, keep, to put it mildly. I'm yes. it very mildly. <laughs> he, uh, Long overdue. He's been president since 82. Um, I was in I was in primary school learning about him <laughs> over thirty years ago. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I mean, we want to get to it. My mama was like, we want to get to the details. But but I think that being able to see all these other things that's one of the beautiful things I think from social media. And so, before I let you guys go, I like to do this thing called the lightning round. Three questions, whatever comes up to your mind. <laughs> No stress, just you know. <laughs> and the people have to they have just the same vibes, look every time. Yolanda <laughs> looks cool. I'm almost like, what are these questions about to mm. <laughs> do I have to think about? <laughs> they, these are not hard hit well, I don't think they're hard hitting. We'll find out when I ask them. All right. Okay, let's see. First question. Ooh, and I, I had this for y'all. What is the best trip you've been on so far? <laughs> Together or apart? 
I mean, however you want to, you can do both if you want. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go together. He let's, said, let's, what do you mean apart? Let's get together. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we travel, you know, we always travel connected right? <laughs> to the hip. Well, people don't, you know, when people see couples, they don't realize that you might actually travel not with each other sometimes yeah, yeah. We, we, we both have taken amazing trips we without do, each other we do that sometimes yeah <laughs> well i think as, as a as a couple <laughs> i think um oh maldives see you can't remember <laughs> Sri Lanka. he's like as a couple but then i bet you if i'm like oh which one of you know yeah. by yourself he'd be like oh, oh yeah, this or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> see what i mean <laughs> that's why i asked <laughs> well when did you guys go to the Maldives? I feel like I saw the photos. Was it like? Oh yeah, that's going back a few that years. That was so. 2015. That was no. so or long like, ago. No, no, no. Okay, so scratch that. No, we've been to we've been to so many amazing places since then. It's one of my favorites, and I think there's been like in the recent mm-hmm. last few years, um, was definitely two, so 2018. We did a road trip through Costa Brava, um, Catalonia region in Spain. And it was just such a laid back trip. It was two weeks and we we did a language class for a week, you know, where we stayed in the city of Girona. Uh-huh. Um, but prior to that, we just hit up like we were working with the tourism board. So mm-hmm. that was that was really fun. But we didn't have to have this intense schedule yeah. where we had to be here and then we had to be there and there. So it was just an itinerary. And then, of course, you know, different places where we were staying. But it was amazing. Like the the interviews we got and the stories picked up the foods that we tried yeah. being able to really immerse ourselves in language for a week that was really fun yeah. so um and just kind of like go at our own pace yeah and so we really enjoyed that you know had a car and it was just really relaxed so for us it was I, for me <laughs> it was one of my favorite trips for us i agree <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> I mean, I would have been mad at the Maldives. It's it's on my it's on my to go places. The the place I have. Well, it's not quite the same region, but whatever. The place I happen is Seychelles. And let me tell you. Yeah. Have you have you guys, oh, been, have at you guys been at all yet? No, not yet. Can I, <laughs> when I lived in uh, Qatar. This is really this is slightly embarrassing, but not whatever. Um, I told my family, you guys should come out. Let's let's go somewhere. In my brain, I was trying to say Sao Tome and Principe because they were coming from the eastern part of the U.S. It wouldn't be as long as a flight. But I said Seychelles. And since it got out there, everybody wanted to go to Seychelles. And but you know what? Say, look, if if I go, I may not be coming back. Internet's whack, but I may may not be coming back. It is such an and it's such a different part of Africa. Right. So. But Maldives was like when I, I remember looking at the map and it was like showing up, you know, when you're flying in the in the little visual. And I was yeah, like, the Maldives. So but all right. Second question. On your blog, what do you think is one post or page that really encapsulates what you're about? So if they can only read one thing off of your site. Who's never been to your site, where should they go? I'm going to. I'm going to go back to the article that we mentioned um, earlier in the conversation. So you think you want to be an ally. I think that shows that that tells a story about who we are and what we stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone who's going to be consuming any other bit of content we put out there needs to know that this is who we are uh, and this is how 
we see the world. Um, and that hopefully will give them an, a better appreciation for all the other stuff we, we, we put out yeah. there. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's let's drama over that question. All right. Well, I could have said the plantain pancakes recipe post, but you know, we'll just stick it with. Wait a minute, you said there's a hold on. Side note, did you say there's a plantain? Plantain pancakes. Yeah. I saw someone. This was two days ago. They're trying to make plantain ice cream. Oh. Right. I got really my like my antenna went. Wait a minute. Plantain has become a, a big deal now. People are using yeah, trying but, to do all kinds of things uh, with plantains now. But I I can't have it like I told you at my sister's house. There's plantain fufu upstairs as we speak. So when I tell you <laughs> that's that's a very specific regional thing. But when I tell you I'm I am praying that it doesn't become as lack of a better word gentrified <laughs> as some right. other foods because I can't yeah, have my plantain be like two dollar a plantain because all of a sudden people want to eat it. Oh my gosh, you guys! Thank you so much for coming up on the show. I am gonna make sure that I put the link to your article as well to your site and your social media in the show notes as well as up on our YouTube channel so that everyone can know where to find you. Cause I think that you guys just give such a great perspective and you you're doing some really awesome things. And besides, I think everyone should support black content creators. So we know this, I'm me. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is not a hidden secret. <laughs> I think that everybody should support all kinds of creators, but especially black ones. And so thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate this. Global Chatter with the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is produced by Justin Williams. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast or follow us on our YouTube channel at The Black Expat Presents. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.